Jesus, you are so, so, so good to us. And we, we love to praise you with songs, and we love to praise you with um, obedient hearts, but Lord, we just love that you love us first. And God, we pray you would search our hearts, Lord. So we're going to give you, Lord Jesus, a moment of silence right now where we can just wait upon you and you can search our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. It's so good to wait in silence upon the Lord. Um, The world would think you're not doing anything. You're just sitting there silently. But that is the carnal mind that's thinking. The spiritual mind is very active. The spirit within us is very active in those moments of silence when we give control of our hearts over to God. And he is doing many great actions that we cannot perceive. We don't know what's going on. But it's in those times of waiting upon the Lord that virtue and love is developed in our hearts that couldn't be there if we just read the Bible or if we just pray. It's got to be a time of waiting upon the Lord. So it's always good for us to do those times of of silence. Well, today we're going to be studying Genesis 25 for the third week. We're going to be closing out the chapter today. And I can honestly say, and I've been telling my wife all week, I have never been more excited for a Bible study than I am for this one today. So I hope you're excited too. And uh, so just open to Genesis 25 and get ready for God to rock your world. If you know you have any sin that you're hanging on to, I would suggest that you confess it to the Lord right now. Receive forgiveness and ask the Spirit to just overwhelm your life. Right now, before we even get started, let's do an altar call. and just, Just get it right with the Lord right now because God has so much to do in us and through us and through his word today. So open up to Genesis 25. Like I said, the sermon today is called, That's My Jam. You guys ever heard a great song on the radio and been like, that's my jam? And you get, people get excited. Well, that's what they say in the world today, the young kids. I know none of you would say such a thing, but all the kids are saying it. That's my jam. We start out our our time right now thinking thousands of years ago, all right? So we're going to back up on our timeline thousands of years ago to the day when Satan got kicked out of heaven. You remember that day? Well, in Isaiah, it tells us about that day. So I'm going to read to you Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. For you have said in your heart, this is God speaking to Satan, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mounts of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend to the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That's how the Bible says Satan thought in his mind the day he was kicked out of heaven. Satan wanted to have something. Satan wanted to do something. Satan wanted to be something Apart from God. Apart from God. And that's the key. This is Satan's jam. This is Satan's banner. This is his theme song to his life. Apart from God. He, he initiated this plan. You know, from the very first man, he's been, he's been 
playing this jam as loud as possible in the hearts of men with the huge sound system going down the street. When we were in, in Dominican Republic, Norm and I, we were sleeping in this room, all concrete, not a single piece of furniture, just lightning bugs and cockroaches. And we're sleeping there on our, on our little inflatable mattresses. And there's a window right here and no, no, just slats. It's not really a window. It's just slats. And it's a million degrees. And uh, all night long, from the moment the sun goes down to the moment the sun goes up, they have, we, we're literally where my mom is right there. We're that far away from the street. Not even that far. It was, it was just a sidewalk, like our window and then the sidewalk and then the main street of this town, Gaspar Hernandez. And all night long, they would go 800 miles an hour up the street, both ways, it'd crash, who cares? They, and not only that, but they would have the biggest sound systems in the world. And they would come and they would stop right in front of our window, and they would play as loud. And I am not lying, I'm not even exaggerating, I'm probably playing it down a little bit. It was horrendous all night long. And if I didn't have some headphones, like I slept with headphones, noise-canceling headphones, with rain, like, sound and thunder sound all night long just to survive. It was so incredibly loud. It was, it was unbearable at times. I mean, it just, it would wake you up out of the deepest sleep and people just honking their horns and yelling and screaming and ah, da, 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 da. It was crazy. All right. All that's to say, that's what Satan's doing. Right in our lives and in our hearts, he is spreading this music, this jam, this banner that you can be who you are apart from God. And this is Adam. He was convinced by Satan, you are what you are apart from God. You don't really need God. You're, you are self-sufficient. You can lose God and really lose nothing at all. He probably put it to a tune. I had a tune in my head I was going to put this to, so hang on one sec. You are who you, ah, you are what you are apart from God. You don't really need God at all. Like, he probably just has this tune playing. He's probably way better at music than me, but. And from generation to generation, Satan has been spreading this dark and evil and false gospel throughout the world. You are what you are apart from God. You don't really need God. You're self-sufficient, and you can lose God and really lose nothing at all. And he's done a good job. He's implanted his message deep within our hearts. He sowed his seed in Adam's flesh, and it's been passed down to every human being in something we call today the flesh. The flesh is everything inside of you and me that seeks to have or do, or be something apart from God. That's what the flesh is. It's our sin nature, apart from God nature. All right? But in 2015, today in Denver, Colorado, and all around the world, when a man turns to Jesus, or woman, I guess, by faith, we are given a new nature. In addition to this flesh, we're given a new spirit inside us and one that only desires God. And it only desires God's kingdom and it only desires what's perfect and pure and right and that's given to a, a man or a woman who trusts Jesus by faith. And these two war. It's God's own spirit he gives to us, his uncreated spirit 
just implanted into it. And he puts it deep within our hearts and he allows it to do battle in our hearts against our flesh. It's like the fury of Gandalf going to battle with the Balrog in the darkest tunnels of Moria. And if you haven't seen the Lord of the Rings, it's disappointing for you. Because that was a great illustration but you had to see Lord of the Rings. No, the spirit, it wars against the flesh in the deepest pits of our heart. You shall not pass, he says. So now we get to Genesis chapter 25, verse 21. This is crazy. This is awesome. Isaac, it says, pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived but the children struggled within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? Freaking out pregnant woman. So she went to inquire of the Lord. And we saw last week, that those were the verses we studied last week, and we saw that Isaac spent 20 years praying for her to get pregnant, going to the Lord, going to the Lord, and we saw the, how we take hold of the promises of God by faith and we endure in prayer. And that was our lesson. And she observed her husband enduring in prayer and trusting the Lord and believing those promises for 20 years. And so when something crazy is going on inside her, what does she do? She goes to inquire of the Lord. Her husband led her in the Lord. It was a beautiful thing. So now the Lord said to her, verse 23, two nations are inside your womb. Now that is a lot of twins. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when the days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And one, the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and he took his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Now, there's a Jewish tradition that says when, when Rebecca was pregnant, that as she'd be walking around town, I'm doing my best pregnant impersonation, she'd get to it, and let's say this is an idol for a, 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 a bad god, like a false god of the Canaanites that lived. She, she'd get close to it, and Esau would freak out and get excited when she got close to these bad idols. But when she got close to the, the altar of the Lord or anything having to do with God, Jacob would get excited about that. That's the Jewish traditions of what was going on in this. So we had these two babies, going to be two nations, two people groups. One will be Israel, God's people. The other will be Edom. The sons of Esau are called Edom, the Edomites. You've got to remember this, Okay. And they are going to be the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people. So everyone say, in your most evil, sinister voice, Esau. All right, and now say, Edomites. All right. We're going to, get to, we're going to do that more today. So this is interactive today. In fact, there's two entire books in the Old Testament written completely about how much God hates Edom. You're like, what? There's books about God, how God hates people? Yes. These people, Edomites, this is a big deal. Obadiah and Malachi. And there will be, this will be a constant thread you will see in the Old Testament. Whenever you see Edom, 
Whenever you see the Edomites, whenever you see Mount Seir, which is where the Edomites settled, the land that God gave them, they are all the enemies of God. But why? Why does God hate them? Why does God hate Esau? Well, Paul gives us insight in the book of Romans. So if you want to turn with me to Romans chapter 9, we're going to see a little bit of insight here that Paul teaches us. Romans chapter 9, verse 10 through 16. Paul's teaching the same Bible study through the book of Genesis. And he says, and, and not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one man, even our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to his election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. And it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. That's from Malachi. We'll see that in a minute. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whoever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. So we see here that God does choose, but not based on how good or, her, or how bad people are, but on something else. And what is the something else that God chooses by? It's his own mercy. A lady came up to Spurgeon questioning this part of the Bible and questioning the Lord. And she says, why would God love Jacob and hate Esau? And Spurgeon's answer was, I have no problem with God hating Esau. I get that. He's an evil man. We're going to see. My problem is, why would God love Jacob? Why would God even love Jacob? Jacob is just as bad of a sinner as Esau, we're going to see. But there is a difference. And the main difference that we see on God's side in eternity past, why he made his decisions, is his mercy. He chooses to give mercy, to show mercy to certain people. So the question we must ask is, why did he pick this one and not that one? And we're going to see the answer to that today. He shows mercy to certain people. We're going to see that today. Verse 27. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man. And that word mild could also be interpreted well-rounded. He wasn't just obsessed with being outside. Dwelling in tents. He liked to be indoors. <laughs> and Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So God has perfect foreknowledge. God, he sees what these guys are going to be well before they're born. And what does he see? Well, he looks at Esau and he sees Esau is a man's man. He's an NRA member. He's an outdoor man. His favorite store is Cabela's. He's a mountain man. Grizzly Adams, his nickname. He's Chuck Norris with a hairy chest. Or the rock with a beard. No time for sissies, girly things, or God. Esau is the epitome of the flesh. He is nothing else. 
if he had a creed, if he had a song that he would play on his boombox as he's walking down the sidewalk, it would be, you are who you are apart from God. You don't really need God. You are self-sufficient. You can lose God and really lose nothing at all. It perfectly describes Esau. Where did he get that song from? Satan, right? Satan implanted it. He'd say, I'm a man's man and hear me roar. That's what Esau says. So Jacob, when God looks ahead and he sees who Jacob's going to be, what does he see? He sees Jacob is weak, indoorsy, a mama's boy, gentle, unpopular, nerdy, geeky, a trickster, a deceiver, a liar. He's embarrassed about himself. He's an embarrassment to his father. He is not self-sufficient. He is not dependable. He is not reliable. And he's not able to do it. And he knew it. He's not able to do it. And he knew it. Well, look at what unfolds in their lives. Okay, God has seen them. He's made his choice. Look in verse 29. Now Jacob cooked a stew. This is now the, the, what, the outcome of their life, the main thing God wants us to know. And Esau came in from the field, for, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me some of the red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. You thought I was joking. No, he is Edom, father of the Edomites. Verse 31, But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. And he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. What is going on here? We are learning about the character of these two boys which is also going to be the character of these two nations, which is also going to be the character of two things inside of you that are warring with each other and fighting with each other. Esau is only concerned with himself. He is only thinking about what the flesh desires, his hunger. He has no concern for the future of his family and leading them. The birthright. What is this? The birthright. It, it was a double portion of the inheritance, but it was also the spiritual leadership of the family. Jacob, he was interested in spiritual leadership of the family. He, he desired for God to use him. He's like, I wasn't born first, but I would have liked to have been. I would like to be the one that God uses. But he is going about it all wrong at this point. He's trying to deceive and trick and do things to get it, manipulate. But we're going to see as we follow his life how God is going to break him of that habit and God is going to work these things out in his life. God's going to turn it around. So why does Esau despise his birthright and what does that mean? The birthright was the promise that God had made to Grandpa Abraham. Abraham was their grandpa. God had promised Abraham that in his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And we're told in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He, he does not say, and to seeds as many 
but as one and to your seed who is Christ. So the promise was that God would be faithful to save those who would be dependent upon his son, Jesus Christ, when he would come. Abraham knew there would be one guy, a son, and when he came, he would save everybody. Abraham knew that. Isaac knew that. Jacob and Esau knew that. Jacob believed it. Esau did not. Well, it doesn't matter if Esau didn't believe it or not. Esau didn't care. He didn't care. To receive this birthright was to have a heart that believed the promise and cared about the promise. Believed it. Esau despised his birthright. And so what is he really despising? Jesus. And if you want God to hate you, go ahead and hate Jesus. That's the best way. In fact, if you want me to hate you, hate one of my sons. Despise one of my sons. Esau said in his heart, I really don't need this crud. I'm fine without God. I'm a man's man. Don't you see my beard? Don't you see my hair? I'm all right. I got my bow. I got my sword. I got my college degree. I have no use for the pity and grace of God. That's for weak people. I have muscles upon muscles. I have hair everywhere. I'm a man. Why do I need God? That's what is going on in Esau's heart. And then he looks at his brother Jacob and he thinks, yeah, this is more your style. I've eaten burritos bigger than you. You are weak and needy. You go ahead and cling to this promise and I'll be over here living my life to its fullest as rave music plays and someone yells, YOLO. <laughs> See, the New Testament picks it up here. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, it says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for a morsel of food sold his birthright. This is about you, Hebrews says. This is about you. Esau is in you. He is in you. He is your flesh. He represents your flesh and the lie we have living inside us that makes us profane and fornicate and makes us shout that song that says, you are what you are apart from God. You don't really need God. You are self-sufficient and you can lose God and really lose nothing at all. God hates this song this jam, this heart, this flesh inside of you. Turn to the book of Malachi. Or some people call it Malachi, the Italian prophet. <laughs> it's the last book in the Old Testament. Why? Because God is mean? Is that why he hates this? No, it's because God hates for his beloved bride to be deceived. God hates for his beloved bride to be deceived, and he will not allow it. He will fight against it. He hates lies. He hates them. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. You're my bridegroom. You're, you're my bride. You're... I loved you. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? And he says, 
Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And laid waste to his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom, who are Esau's people, have said, We have been impoverished and we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw them down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. God hates them. God hated Esau and his descendants, but God hated Esau because he can do nothing at all with a person who will not admits their need for God. They have been deceived by a lie and they're shouting it to everyone in their descendants. We don't need God. We don't need God. God hates that message. And so he will destroy that message. They despise the way that God gives grace, which is his son. They think, why would... That doesn't mean anything to me that God gave his son. I don't, I don't get it. I don't need that. What, what do I have to do with a guy who lived 2,000 years ago and died on a cross? They're despising God's son. And they despise the way that people get grace, which is how do people get this grace? By humility. And the world looks at that and says, all the descendants of Esau and the Edomites say, you guys are ridiculous. You guys humble yourself before God. Be a man's man. Grow some hair. Eat some lentils. They despise the birthright that's happening today. And there's a part of you that despises the other part of you that wants to humble itself before God. There's a part of you that says, I'm ridiculous. I'm so weak. Why do I do this before God to obtain his grace? I could, I could try a little harder. I could pick up my bow and go hunt something. It's the attitude of self-importance and self-sufficiency that God hates now and he says he's at war with perpetually. He's at war with for generation to generation. He will always be at war with a self-sufficient heart. What about Jacob? He's a sinner too. Isn't he the hero of our story? And he's kind of really lame right now. Yes, but Jacob was broken and humble. He cried out to God saying, I'm so messed up. I have nothing going for me. But you have made me a promise that I am going to cling to that promise no matter how crazy it is. People don't like me and I wish I was more than what I am, but I believe in your promise and I will do anything to get it. I need your promise is what Jacob would say. We're going to follow that story more in depth later. God could do something with Jacob. And so God loves Jacob. God gave him mercy. God chose him. And it will have nothing to do with the abilities of Jacob or his efforts. Not his goodness. He is a deceiver. He is weak. Yet God will bless him and change him and love him because he believes the promise. He believes God's there. And he believes in what the son would eventually do. Turn to the book of Obadiah if you can find it. 
it is extremely hard to find. And you can't cheat on your phones. It's after Amos, before Jonah. God can get to work in a person who is in total despair. Anyone in here been in total despair in their life? Just wiped out. Just what is going on? A person who renounces all dependency on the flesh because they know they can't do it. You been there? Yeah. God doesn't love you for who you are, but for what he can, is going to make from you. He knows you're weak, and that's not a problem for him. He was going to give you strength. Jacob admits his need for God, which is humility. That's the definition of humility. And Esau would never do that, which is the definition of pride. Would never admit that they need God. Obadiah chapter 1, verse 1, again, says, The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. Ha! Jacob's dis- or Esau's descendants. How about that? We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. The what of his heart? The pride of the Edomites' heart, saying, I don't need God. I am who I am apart from God. I don't need this. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, you will say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, for I will bring you down, says the Lord. And then down in verse 6, Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought after. God says, I'll figure you out. You think you're all right? I'm going to bring you down because I hate you. What does he hate about these people? This, this satanic heart they have saying, I don't need God. Esau hated his birthright because it required humility to accept help from God. He wanted to be himself, to master his own life, to be his own captain, to set his own course. He did not see a need or a danger. But God promises to bring him down. And all who have the same pride that keeps them from accepting the person and work of his son, the son of promise, Jesus, God is at war with their pride too. God will search it out. He will search out the hidden treasures. Man. But that doesn't mean You can just be against Jesus. There's this crazy war all throughout history, and this war is continuing right now in this room. There are arrows flying. There are swords swinging right now in this room, spiritually in our hearts, because the spirit of Esau is alive and well and fighting against the spirit of the living God in each believer in here today. It's the flesh. So how do we battle it? What does this war look like? Turn to Exodus chapter 17. I told you to bring your Bibles. And in Exodus chapter 17, I said that really bad. Exodus chapter 17, we see Moses and Joshua and God's people are attacked by the Amalekites. Everyone say, Amalekites, in your evil voice. Amalekites. These Amalekites also picture the flesh. 
If they had a banner going before their enemy, what do you think it would say? You are who you are apart from God. You don't really need God. You are self-sufficient and you can lose God and really lose nothing at all. That's these Amalekites. These dirty Amalekites, they're trying to stop the people of God from entering the promised land. They're bloodthirsty. They're crazy. They attack without warning, which is exactly what the flesh does. In Galatians 5.17, I'll read it to you. The, the, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. The flesh will always attack you to keep you from depending upon God and his grace. Always. Your flesh does not want you to do that. Now look at what we see in Exodus 17 verse 9. Then Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand up on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on top of the hill. So Joshua fights the enemy. He leads an army. But it's not Joshua who determines whether they win or lose. Because look at what happens in verse 11. So it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. The lesson here is really simple, guys. It is God who gives the victory over the flesh, not us. Joshua could have tried his best, but if the faith was gone, the victory was gone too. Yet as long as those hands were lifted in faith, the victory was already won. You either already win or you already lose based on faith. When we don't throw ourselves completely on God, we are going to lose the battle because we've already lost apart from God. It doesn't matter if Joshua had an atomic bomb. He would have lost if Moses didn't have his hands up. Furthermore, if Moses did have his hands up, he could throw marshmallows at the Amalekites and they would fall over dead. When we do look to God and raise hands of faith, we've already won. The fight is just a formality. Jesus cannot lose. But Satan always wants to pervert the truth into a lie. He wants Esau to look like a good guy, and this is how he does it. Watch this. We think in our mind, okay, I got a battle against my flesh and the spirit, but if I just try hard to be holy and to win the battle against the Amalekites, then God will give me the Holy Spirit and I can have victory. I just need to try really, really hard, be more committed, be more faithful. That's the difference between Jacob and Esau, we think. Jacob tried harder. And that is not true. It is not right. Jacob was weak. Listen to this quote from this book I read this week called The Saving Life of Christ by W.E. and Thomas. There is nothing quite so nauseating or pathetic as the flesh trying to be holy. The flesh has a perverted bent for righteousness. Such righteousness as it may achieve is always self-righteousness. 
And self-righteousness is always self-conscious righteousness. And self-conscious righteousness is always full of self-praise. This produces the extrovert who must always be noticed, recognized, consulted, and applauded. On the other hand, when the flesh is in pursuit of self-righteousness and it fails, instead of being filled with self-praise, it is filled with self-pity and it produces the introvert, a professional case for professional counselors. None of those things are victory. Satan doesn't care if you succeed or fail in being holy. He just wants you to try it apart from God. That's his song. That's his banner. Do it whenever you want to go to church. I don't care. Try to stop looking at porn. Try to stop cheating on your spouse. Try to stop cussing. Try any of it. Go for it. Just whatever you do, don't do it with God. Do it in your own efforts. That's the song of Edom, and that's why it's so deceitful. That's what God hates. He has taken care of your sin. Your sin is not the problem anymore. The relationship is. He loves you. He hates this independent spirit, this American dream that has infected our hearts. But you can do it. He hates the Amalekites. Look in verse 13. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. And I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner. Ha! For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. God loves those who would let him be the banner that flies over them, the song that plays in their iPads, iPods, whatever. Their jam. God wants to be your song. But, but if you want the jam of Esau playing in your heart, what's going to happen? This verse says, the Lord has sworn and the Lord will have war against Malalek, Amalek from generation to generation. So you want to do it on your own? You're at war with me. Why? Why? I want to bless you. I want to be the banner in your life. So are you ready? Because this next thing is going to blow your mind. It blew me away, okay? I have said that Esau pictures the flesh. Esau. I've said that Edom pictures the flesh. Edom. And Amalek pictures the flesh. Amalekites. How do I know? Did I just make all that up? In Genesis chapter 36, we're skipping ahead a little bit. We'll get there in a couple weeks. <laughs> I just looked. We've spent 36 weeks so far in Genesis. 38, sorry. This is 39. Um, in Genesis chapter 36, verse 8. So Esau dwelt in Mount Seir, so anytime you see Esau mentioned in the Bible, it's speaking of the satanic, self-sufficient heart. Anytime you see Mount Seir prophesied against in the Bible, it's speaking of the satanic, self-sufficient heart. Esau is Edom. Anytime you see Edom spoken of in the Bible, it's about this satanic, self-sufficient heart. Now this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of Edomites in Mount Seir. Skip down to verse 12. 
Now Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. And these were the sons of Adah, Esau's wife. Amalek was Esau's grandson. What? Blows my mind. And this banner, this song was so deeply ingrained in his heart because Esau made a lullaby for his kids and sang it to him on his knees saying, you are what you are apart from God. You don't really need God. You are self-sufficient and you can lose God and really lose nothing at all. And that's why the Amalekites are so evil. What song is playing in your heart right now? What's the banner flying over your life? What's your relationship to the birthright? Esau said, I despise this birthright. Jacob says, I want the birthright. Are you believing the promise? Are you trusting in the birth to make you right? Ha! Boom. That was awesome. Came up with that all on my own. Are you being a person that God can show mercy to? Who's the person that God chose, chose beforehand? It's the one who said, I'm just going to believe the birthright. I want Jesus. That's the one God chose. So compare with me. Pride, self-sufficiency, my abilities, who I am, these things are all under that banner of you are who you are apart from God. You don't really need God. You are self-sufficient. You can lose God and really lose nothing at all. That's that side. That's the side that receives no mercy from God. God's at war with it. And then compare it to the other side, the Jacob side. Brokenness, emptiness, desperation, weakness. And there's a song that plays with that one too. It's what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Father, we desire victory over our flesh and so we look to your son the promise and the blood that he shed and we pray for mercy we pray Lord for so much mercy to be upon our lives Lord God because we can't earn anything we can't do this ourselves we only have you And so, Lord, in, a, in an act of dependence upon you, Lord, we're going to get up and we're going to come have communion during these songs. Lord, we're going to take of that bread and we're going to remember what you did, Jesus, and we're going to forget what we have done. And we're going to take that cup and we're going to remember what you give 
And we're going to forget all our sin. And we're going to receive that grace that you give, Lord God. We thank you so much for your word that speaks so powerfully into our lives and gives us victory that we do not deserve, victory that we do not earn. And it is all simply by faith. If there's anyone in here today who has not ever believed in Jesus and, and put their hope in him, you have despised your birthright. My prayer is that today you come to the Lord with all your heart and you repent and say, Father, I accept what you did. I accept sending your son as my substitute that I should have been on the cross, but he is instead. I accept it. And I pray you would create in me a heart to do righteousness, to be holy. I pray that my flesh would be beaten in battle by the Joshua who came for me, Jesus Christ. And I pray for all those in here who maybe have been struggling in their relationship with God and who have been just distant or God has been just surfaced or you know that there's been a battle in your flesh. The Amalekites, the Edomites in your soul have been winning and, I pr and, and you desire a new, fresh life. Come to the fountain and drink. Come to Jesus and Jesus alone. Sit in silence before him and believe